Suns fans, you know what time it is in the PHX. Empire of the Suns. Suns. Phoenix Suns. The Empire of the Suns podcast is brought to you by Sonic. Drive to your nearest Sonic location and try their new Choose Any Two for $7 deal for a limited time only. Empire of the Suns. Hello there, and welcome to the Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Kellen Olson, joined as always by Kevin Zimmerman. Hey, man. Howdy, howdy. Thanksgiving is upcoming. What a great time of the year for some basketball, some reunions of sorts. Did they make that so we can make this great metaphor? I don't know, but thanks, schedule guys. I made it seven seconds without clearing my throat or coughing and didn't hear a word because I'm stressed out about how many times I'm going to cough on this podcast. I said some stuff about DeAndre Ayton and Chris Paul coming back. They did, yeah. We can, I guess, start with DA and, and go there. Uh, the Suns have won four games in a row. We last podcasted on Friday, I want to say. Sounds right. A lot of what we talked about was how the defense was looking and how it was pretty solid. It has not been as solid over these three games. They got into two shootouts with the Jazz. They won 131-128 on Friday, 140-137 in double overtime on Sunday. Bit better of a defensive performance against Portland, 120-107. There was still this stretch uh, for the second unit in both halves where it did not look too great. But they're winning basketball games. They are stacking wins, as Chris Paul used to say. There's your Chris Paul for you. I want to say, where do we start? But it's Kevin Durant, right? Off the top of my head, what, 31 points? Like seven rebounds, like five, six assists, 54% shooting? 54 from the field and 51 from three. Yeah. Which is insane. He's 14 games in now. Like, this is nearing a fifth of the season i think if my math is right he's just about there and it's a pretty insane pace it's 54 from trey ball's od shooting hang poles that's what it is i had to look that up that was the most i've cringed at office messages in a while when you guys were trying to decode that in the big chat i'm sorry sometimes you just have to go like (laughs) the the youths the youths will be the youngins and and that is that is the end of it and that is how i felt about chet holmgren's response to what kevin Durant was doing on the basketball court. Uh, he's been incredible. I think that the two Jazz games, specifically the double OT one, where he just straight up carried them through that. Uh, point book had 15 assists on Friday, and that was more of the story, along with how great Durant was. He had 38, but then he had 39 on Sunday, and they ran everything through the double teams that he was taking. Utah just kind of waited too long to change their coverages, and I think in double OT they changed it a little bit. But it looked like more of the same throughout those periods in terms of when they were doubling and when it was coming over, and he was able to carve that up. Their spacing was really great. I think that their spacing on double teams and having the right guy one pass away is something J.J. Redick brought up on his uh, podcast as well. I think that they've gotten much better at that over the last two weeks. I would say the doubles on Durant, specifically that Lakers game, the second one was really rough. Uh, They've gotten much better since then, and it also helps to have Devin Booker out there as well um, but this was a stretch in the season um, I get these two games against Utah the game against Portland where he kind of expected them to not bounce back but find more of a rhythm here and put some wins together the Portland game it felt like it should have been a 30 point win for the whole time it just wasn't they weren't really <clears throat> I, I don't know 
what's it called anymore, stooping to your level of competition, whatever you want to call it, that they're doing in some of these games? Or were they pressing to score too many points because they knew it was an in-season tournament the game? and it's just was in their yeah. head. Wow, look at that. What a theory. I don't know. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that's what it was. Probably not. But, uh, I think in that last possession when he called a timeout in the fourth quarter with a minute left, he was like, let's make sure to score on this possession. Yeah. This is going to be your guys' last try. We'll try and get an extra possession up here in the point differential and go from there. But outside of that, I think that they've been playing pretty solid basketball. I think the key is Booker and Durant continuing to stay healthy, and then we'll really start to see them find more of a form. But they've been much better with Book, and who knew Mike Vigil had the stat earlier today where – in games with Devin Booker, use of Nurkic is shooting 58% from the field. Without Devin Booker, he's shooting 38% from the field. Uh, 36, excuse me. And that is the type of thing you can expect. The supporting cast is going to be much better when he's out there. I think for me, um, like, again, they're, they're still not doing anything super crazy on offense to me. Um, a lot of the late late game offense is really just high post again and staring down and daring people to double you and most of the time especially with kevin durant's numbers right now they are being like yes we will double you yes please we'll do that and i i think it's just basic building blocks of okay we need to not just swing it once we need to swing it one two three times and in stretches you see like the actual the balls pinging around whether it's rolls with nurk um just the momentum starting to catch on when you make one initial pass and then it starts going around after that um i think mike d'antoni what did he used to call that i don't remember he just said the ball would have momentum or something like that, that. before my time but uh, you're starting to see that and that is again like just continuity you're not doing anything crazy but you're taking advantage of having two superstars who are drawing doubles um so I think I think that's positive, and like you said, stacking wins right now against pretty good teams. Like I, I don't think Utah's as bad as the <laughs> record showed. Like Portland's as bad as their record showed. Um, Memphis probably will be as bad, but they might match up okay. Um, we'll see on that game Friday after this Warriors game. But yeah, I mean they are where you th- you would expect. Um, I do want to like kind of get to. I think I did call out the wing group Friday and and um Nas Little has kind of not that he listens to this podcast probably but he definitely he has taken he th- yeah there's probably money on that mm-hmm. that he doesn't but Utah series the Portland game he's really made a difference like you just see the the spurts he's not even playing that many minutes but he's ready to come in knock down shots immediately cold off the bench um just the defense the energy and you when you go back and like I read some of the scouting stuff that we did in that draft that he came out and just other draft things like that was always his thing right he was always a project but his motor and his attention and and competitiveness was always kind of like what he built his stock on really and you're seeing that and i think that's positive for me because like you still look at him like people look at 
you know, Bol Bol's raw. Well, he's raw because he's standing around not knowing what to do. Um, Nasir Little's going 100 miles per hour all the time. So you're starting to see that, but he's also starting to look like an older player now. And we'll see where that goes. Obviously, you got to see that over longer periods, bigger minutes when Frank Vogel starts trusting him more. But just wanted to kind of bring him up. I guess what have, what have you seen from him as far as like what impact he's had? Which is, to me, it's been everywhere. Yeah, well, it's weird because Josh Akogi played really well in those first three games. We had the K-Debates D-Op stretch, and now we've got the Nas Little stretch. Um, I'm sure that means that the Uda stretch is coming up here pretty soon at some point when he returns from injury. Left quad contusion, I believe, is the listing for him. He's still out tonight. That was something where they were doing their uh, post-scrimmage or uh, post-shoot-around, post-practice run with some of the guys who don't get as many minutes, and he took an injury. Uh, in that segment, uh, it doesn't seem like something that's going to be super serious, but those quad contusions, I think Cam Johnson had one a year or two, like can linger yeah. and really be a pain. So I'm glad that they're taking a precautionary approach with him, it appears, with that and giving him some time to heal. Uh, I think that Nas has been good. I think that what they need off the bench specifically is high levels of energy because I don't think this team plays with a lack of energy by any means but they do need like a little bit of a spark an edge more, a spark yeah an edge more so is is the way to put it like they really are i think <clears throat> i think what the more you watch this team the more you realize they do need someone like that specifically like if you were able to get the whoever you want to put in in that kind of role like pj tucker or whoever jay crowder right? that kind of guy they're missing that kind of guy i think we were looking at grayson <laughs> allen as someone who could potentially do that but he's just not involved in stuff what do you know all those <laughs> assumptions about him didn't really lead to much and i think they just need that guy from an energy perspective i think goodwin is that guy as well i think josh is that guy but nas has been the one who has been the most effective so far with turning it into positive play at least in the last week um i think that where he has to get a leg up and continue to get better is attacking closeouts and point five decision making. Yeah. That's where K debates D up with his cutting and then also with that has been really good. And that's where Josh being a guy in the system last year got a lot better already as well. Uh, but I think defensively he offers a lot with his size and positional versatility. I think that he has the most positional versatility of the three just because he's a bit bigger than Josh. I'm not saying he's a better defender than Josh, but he has the best positional versatility of all those guys and I think that there is real value in developing him long-term as well. He's on a four-year deal. He's under contract for three more years. All of these guys are pretty much one-plus-one guys. That's the thing about this year's run is it's a very, very small niche thought. But, like, can you do this well again with minimums? Like, it was just yeah. such a high bar that they set for themselves in terms of how well they did with minimums because the majority of these guys are going to decline and get a new offer somewhere else or re-up with the Suns and for more money something like that i think there are some logistical things to look into there in terms of how possible it is for the Suns to re-up with those guys with bird rights and all that kind of stuff but we won't we won't go there for now which is my point of Nas is under contract he makes i think it's four years 28 million is the average on his deal so there's a chance to like develop him into the wing that either comes off the bench or eventually starts for you and is yeah. that fifth guy for the entire the rest of the Durant run essentially like he he could be wind up being really important and I think that they have needed 
that from the wings because Grayson has been remarkably consistent. I said this on the Burns and Gambo show, or Bickley and Broad I was on earlier <laughs> this week. A show. And I said it's hard to think like Grayson Allen wasn't on this team going into the year because he's been incredibly important to them and they've really needed him. Like even in the game last night, it's like a couple transition buckets. He had a couple nice assists. I thought Eric Gordon had like a sneaky good okay game as well when we're talking about the defense he's been I think he's really not stood out in a positive way on just in terms of the attention to detail on every single possession yeah I think that he's been he was good I thought he was better I said this I thought pretty much everyone was better than expected defensively on the perimeter going into that weekend and then I thought Gordon regressed a little bit I thought Nurkic regressed a little bit even Allen regressed a little bit like there was that stretch in the second quarter where a Kogi and Little were in there until I think about two and a half minutes left in the yeah. first half and I, that was very intentional from Vogel because he just wanted to see more there defensively but you've got what you uh, are going to get from Allen I think Gordon is not high variability but he is going to have those games where he just can't hit a shot yeah um, it, it's just kind of how um, he's more streaky than you would think I suppose And I'll get to the center rotation in a minute, but because of that and the lack of another guard, like you're relying on these wings to contribute not only with impact plays that don't show up on the box score, but on the literal box score as well. Like Nas having 13 points last night, that actually mattered a bit. Like those guys getting up to somewhere in the low teens, one of those guys has to find a way to get into the low teens. Not every night, but at least until Beal comes back, they're going to need that because my point on the center production is in a vacuum, we'll call it that, I think Yusuf Nurkic has been good. He's been fine. Yeah. I think Eubanks has been slightly disappointing. It's just way too extreme. Mike Veal had the tweet two weeks ago. He already he pegged it super early and was like, is, is this just going to be it every game where it's either really good or really bad and there's not really any in between? And the thing about Eubanks so far is that we saw with Javel that year that he was really, really good in the regular season. You're not asking for much out of that role on any team, but especially on these Suns teams, the reserve center. Yeah. Like, you just need to finish your opportunities when you get them offensively. You need to be in the right place defensively, and you need to rebound and just not commit negative plays. Like, you can't have bad turnovers, and you can't have dumb fouls around the rim. And that's where someone like Biz even was good last year, I thought. Yeah. And Jock Landale was good last year. And I thought that Eubanks was the best backup big coming into the year that they've had and he just hasn't been that so far just because the lows have been so low the highs have been good but last night he really struggled and so if it's going to be this thing with the center rotation where Nurkic he has some good games I mean the the microcosm of him so far was that game he I thought he was rough in the first half Mm -hmm. did not go well thought defensively there was just a stretch where Malcolm Brogdon just went at him for four straight possessions, and all of a sudden it's a two-point game out of nowhere. Like, that's how quickly teams can attack him. And it was it was a very small part of the game, and I thought defensively he was actually fine, even even good. Steven had a good thread on Twitter of some of the stuff that he was doing um, defensively. But then in the third quarter, the ball movement gets going, and then he looks great. Again. Yeah. And that's the thing. He's, he's dependent on the ball movement, and he's dependent on how the pace of the offense is going. And if it's there... He's going to be pretty impactful. If Booker is really attacking the rim, he's going to be effective. If Durant's really attacking the rim, he's going to be effective. Other than that, not so sure. So my whole point is, and I wrote this last night, 
you, you just don't think about it this way, but they have one of the worst center groupings in the league, and it's not a slight to any of those guys specifically. It's just if you look across the league, it's it's an inc- incredibly deep position. We talked about this when the trade happened and yeah. how I said Nurkic isn't a top 25 center in the league, but that's because there are a lot of really good centers. Like Someone like Shengun, who's having an incredible year in Houston, might not even be a top 10 center in the league right now. Like Jalen Duran is someone who's super exciting in Detroit. You wouldn't think of putting him. Up there, Robert Williams was the anchor on a finals team, and you mm-hmm. wouldn't put him in the top 10. Gobert was someone who we didn't have in the top 10 coming into the year, but with now how he's looks now. Cat yeah. probably wasn't someone who was in the top five, but now he's got to be in that conversation without he's playing. It's an incredibly deep position, and they're just not going to get the night-to-night um, contributions there that a lot of other teams will. So they need their wings without Beal at the moment to step up, which is why I think what you you brought up last week was important and so, sort of what I'm realizing now is you have to decide at what point you're going to take what's happening for what it is. And what I mean by that is, are you willing to say game 30, 40, 50, 60, this is what you're going to get from the centers every night? You just won't know. And so far with that, I'm not saying it's laid out and it's concrete and it's full, but I think what we've learned so far is that one of them is probably going to struggle. Yeah. And that's that's tough. You, you kind of hope that they don't do it the same night and for the most part they've gotten at least like one good i will say they have been like at least trading off right where one person has at least you know 15 point game the other person might struggle based on matchups obviously that's kind of how you just have to hang with it right now like eubanks started from a place where i thought he was probably the worst rotation player early on he's gotten better getting rid of the bad turnovers the moments like that where he's just throwing the ball away and it's it is partially like i've probably thrown out more than two tweets about like why is he running actions like stuffed in a corner out of a timeout when that's not his game he's not nurk so i think maybe they could put him in better positions and it's just hard because like those two guys are so different it also matters how the other guys are operating around you and so i think there's a challenge there with adjusting the play style to the center when they're obviously not the primary like people so that that might be awkward just because how the roster is built um I guess I didn't even think of that about it until you just mentioned it. But in the Portland game, um, Metu got some more run like as a five. I don't know if that was like Eubanks was struggling, whatever. Um, I know it wasn't very long. Was it even more than two minutes? But like Frank is looking at stuff at the very least. Did you did you learn anything during those moments? You talking about Metu? Yeah, at the Uh, five. Yeah, that he's. I it's funny because I didn't even it was a not a come to Jesus moment or anything, but it was like <laughs> about Chemezi oh. Matu, it wasn't. Yeah. yeah, sorry, but I did think of you when he when Aiden went to post him up, and I'm like, this is the yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kevin, Kevin Kevin's super excited at home right now seeing yeah. U of A against USC right now, and 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 then and the fact that they've played against each other and you've been there for those games before, but um, I think that he's already been thinking about it probably for quite a while now and been like, okay, I probably need to go with it. And that was part of why we hampered or hampered. We really hammered on. There's the word minus the P plus the M. <laughs> hammered on uh, going through options and why you're going to need to see like, 
everyone, I, I, I understand the excitement, but you just not playing. Nas plays well, and everyone's like, yep, Nas just took the job. And it's like, he did not. No. He is going to continue to go round and round the ride, just like everyone after the third game of the season was like, well, Josh is going to be the fifth starter the rest of the year. Like we're gonna we're gonna be on the ride for a while now, and part of that ride I think is gonna have to include looking at Metu. I think if Bull is showing enough progress in practice, he will get looks. If he continues not to, I think that that's a good indicator. What I wanted to see from Metu was how that he how he looks in drop coverages, and the smart thing that uh, Vogel did was like, no, let's just switch everything. He's probably better on the perimeter defending a guard than. Uh, I, that's what I interpret it to be. It's like we'd rather have him just switching everything because it gives them a different look, but also it's going to provide something um, that more caters to what Metu Chemezi is probably better at at this stage in his career because that was what I said on either this podcast or another one where I was like, I don't know, man. I need to see him for like 200 minutes in the drop coverage before yeah. I decide that he can be your backup center. Um, yeah. So, But if you're just switching when he's out there, that's great. And he's probably the best shooter of the three. I think, again, preseason, just watching him before games is what we're going off of here. There's not really a sample size in the league, whereas Nurkic shot well last year in NBA games. But with that being said, I do think that it's good for them to look into it and, and probably should look into it again tonight. I was going to ask him... Uh, Vogel yesterday about going small, but I'm probably going to ask tonight instead because they are a team, Golden State, that typically does go small. We've seen uh, KD and KBD as the front court. I think we could see some of that either tonight or see Metu again tonight. And it's going to fluctuate. I was looking at the numbers and a good sign for what we're talking about and just like an indicator that things aren't really going as bad as we're thinking. We're not even saying they're going bad, but if you're reading into what we're saying and worrying, um, their net rating with Nurkic out there has been 5, and it's been 3.6 with Eubanks. And if you look at on-off numbers, uh, when they're off the court, the Suns have a 3.0 net rating when Eubanks is off the court, and then when Nurkic is off the court, they're at a 1.4. So there aren't any really too many variations. The offense is a little better with Nurkic out there, and the defense is a little bit better when Eubanks is out there, which is about what we expected. Like They go from like a below-average defense to a borderline top 10 defense when Eubanks is out there, which makes sense based on what we've seen from the two of them as players. But it's going to be interesting to see how they continue to evolve and grow into what you're saying. Uh, I am curious uh, who starts to get cemented in, because like Josh is going to keep playing, I would like to think. Yeah. Um, and he's earned it. But beyond that is like, okay, is Nas the first wing off the bench or does it depend on the matchup? Like, I'm thinking Josh probably starts tonight because Steph Curry's playing on the other team, but we'll see. I I think it'll be intriguing for me because, like, I know most coaches want to lock down like an eight-man, nine-man rotation if you're going to go long, um, especially for the playoffs. But to me, this roster is built where everyone except for the big three really does need to do piecemeal, like... I think people forget, like, they got the guys on the min contracts because they're not, like, they're not top six players. Probably not top seven on most teams. If you look at Watanabe, for example, like, he's an elite shooter. We know that. He tries on defense. We know that. Go look at his numbers last year. He maybe, what, played 10, 15 minutes a game. He didn't play a lot. And then when you watch him against the Lakers and LeBron just puts him under the rim and just bullies him for two straight minutes and he, he just has to leave because, like, I know it's LeBron, but they're, they're just, like, they all have their flaws is what I'm getting at there. 
Same with Eubanks. Same with Nurkin to lesser degrees, but um, same with Metu. Like he had minutes on a on a really good team on Sacramento last year, but why isn't he getting more? Well, there, there are reasons. Why was Alex Len playing over him? Yeah. yeah. So that that's what you have to deal with, and I think like that's where it's you either need one of or two of them to just take a leap. That's why Little's youth and his age and his upside he should be one of those guys um kbd probably too but like that's just a reminder of why we're here why they created this roster this way and by the way um i don't know if you want to go deep on aiden and chris paul and their time on not sons but um there's a reason why the suns do look smart right now trading da even if he was having an awesome season in portland like the the Grayson ad, the Nas ad, like you just needed bodies, and that's a couple guys who are on non-minimum contracts who are like for good reason, um, very much needed on this team. The mystery box ad, Grayson Allen, according to I think Woj's story that went behind the scenes of how the trade went down. Yeah, uh, that was fun. Yeah, good for them. That worked out well. Sometimes yeah. the mystery can't be fun, but that one was, <laughs> that one was fun. Uh, yeah, we can talk about that for a couple minutes. I do want to say. We're not. We often, if you're new to the podcast, we often are like, "Yeah, Devin Booker's awesome," and then we kind of move on because mm-hmm. we've run out of ways to talk about how awesome he is. We're not there with KD yet, and we're not there with Booker ever. But I want to wait. It's been six games for Book. I think there's an, a, a cool conversation to have in terms of we talk about whose team it is and and who has been better and all that kind of stuff. I think we can wait a couple more games. Maybe it's a yeah. conversation next week, the week after. If we're looking at the MVP case, who has it right now? I think that I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's probably a slight edge to Durant, but that's because he was out there the whole time so far. Yeah, probably is why I feel that way. So we'll wait and see. Yeah, Da was here. Uh, they ran most of the offense through him uh, in, at least in the first quarter. That hasn't been the case for them this season. They haven't run as much offense for him. I don't really know why, but they haven't throwing it well his post-ups per game are down and billups said pre-game he's not really the type of guy where you throw it to him on the block 20 times a game and see it and i i understand that but at the same time they don't really have better options at this point you might as well turn someone into the focal point of the offense and see where it goes and that's what they did and he looked good he was using his dribble he scored 12 points and then he kind of disappeared for the rest of the game which can happen not only for him but can happen for any guy as talented as him on a team that is that bad uh book was asked after the game about playing against him i didn't even catch this when he said it at first i was just kind of nodding along because i've heard different versions of what he said forever and then i realized um after gerald's post went nuts i was like oh yeah that is something that i guess means something he ended his answer by saying my challenge to him is to do that every night basically which is play extra hard i believe and book with what we got we all noticed as well which is that he was going hard in the first quarter and was playing hard and he got book on a layup uh blocked him from behind book hit a pull up on him they were talking a little bit chatting a little bit to be expected and i think that monty book chris all those guys have said so many different versions of what we heard books say, but they just haven't said it as directly in like a call out fashion yeah. because he was their teammate. But now that he's not their teammate anymore, you can take some liberties, I guess. I don't know what to call it exactly, but just speak a little more freely. And he said what has been on everyone's mind for a while now. And I know there are people who believed that it wasn't an issue for 
guys like Booker and Chris and Monty, but knowing the competitors that all those guys are and knowing how you've got an ultra-talented guy who doesn't play the same way every night, how could it not drive them absolutely insane at the maximum or at the very minimum at least irritate them? Yeah. So, look, it doesn't surprise me at all. It was... He knows better than anybody because he's seen every game that DeAndre's played in his career prior to the trade. He's the one guy who can have that claim. There are people in the front office who have been here for that whole time, but he's been on the sideline there. Him and Jay, like the equipment uh, guy, Jay Gaspar, who's been around forever, who's a legend in his own right in the staffing there over the years. Like they, um, They've seen it, and we know... We know what to expect at that point. I don't know if it was a surprise for people to hear Book say that, and I know that it caught some viral stuff, and I think it was Network, one of our favorite Twitter followers, was like, yeah, they hated that guy. And it's, I don't know if they hated him, but they were frustrated by him, to say the very least. And if that was breaking news to you, it was breaking news to you. But it it certainly wasn't to me. To me, it was... I, I take their view on DA, like, the amount of, like, care that Booker had for him, just, like, even away from the court stuff I I don't know if you would agree it seemed like he cared about him genuinely as a person thought he was a good teammate and so you can put up with the play I think when you you don't absolutely hate the guy right like it's like he's not a buzzkill to be around yeah like he's helpful to us I understand his value he's as a person he's a great person or whatever around the team but it that allows you to kind of accept like the the bad play I think or the lack of effort or whatever you want to phrase it for a longer period of time. And even in the last year's playoffs, like I think we should give credit to Chris Paul for like making, not just making DA good, but like putting thought and effort into it. Right. Cause like he saw his value, he saw DA and his value were linked last year because Chris doesn't have it in, in age and they legit took over playoff games, like the two of them um, in pick and rolls. And so I think, my grand view on it is those guys tried their best with him and helped him. And I think right now we're seeing just one when, when the Suns didn't have a point guard that year with uh DA's rookie year, like I think we had so many conversations about not being able to throw entry pra- passes and all this stuff, which is true. Like Portland's going through the same thing, but even if DA's better now as a player, even regardless of his flaws like it's just harder for bigs to get touches when you don't have they legit like brogdon should be that guy who's trying to figure out answers and working with da but for whatever reason like they're just not running pick and rolls i know i don't know if brogdon if i think about it he's probably not the best pick and roll player like he's a really good point guard and ball mover but he's just not like that guy with the shake so I don't know. It's just, it's an unfortunate situation with him, with DA, like hitting the reality of, oh, I don't have guys to find me and set me up. And even if he doesn't need setting up, which I think he does, but just the simple throw the ball into the high post or low post with that guy, like there's just no one who can even do that regardless of what you think about him. So it's, it's, I think a reality check for DA maybe. No, Um, we're, we're past that. No, but I mean, I mean like for, like what he is like they're just not built to do that and then whether that's his fault or not like you know what i mean like it doesn't matter what his draft stock is is. reality checkable does that make sense 
I think it's a reality check for like everyone around him then okay. and us and yeah. not him then. Okay. I mean, I mean it at like a, maybe we should appreciate what Chris Paul and book did for him more. I didn't mean that as a dig by the way. It's yeah. just, it has been so clear what does need to happen for so long. Now. Yeah. It hasn't. So like, I don't think anything at any point is going, I to don't know if the effort thing's going to be fixed at all, change, but, I, but, but get through. Yeah. That's if true. it was going to get through, it was going to get through in the, in a terrific situation for him with one of the best point guards of all time and a coach that for, was, for some reason I had working with him at the start before there was a strife at some point. For some reason, I had higher expectations about just like his. Oh, how he was going to play his shot volume, even. Yeah, I, I don't know if that was unrealistic. I never, I never said it anywhere because it's like it's part of this whole thing that we're now out of. Thankfully, the discourse <laughs> on him, but I didn't think it was going to go well. Um, it hasn't gone well yet. It's just, um, I think it was Vicini, um, the friend of the pot. I guess we can call him. Uh, who does great stuff, and he was just tweeting about how, like, Aiton's effort levels are at, like, an all-time low right now when you watch him, and this was just more what I was talking about last year, where last year and then in the playoffs especially, like, the levels of disconnect from him on the floor were just crazy high, and you're seeing clips from the game last night where Shaden Sharp is running around a screen and DA's not even, like... Making contact, yeah. He's in motion and setting a screen, but you can't, like, I don't... It looks like he's... It looks like someone took an animation. So, video game thing. Yeah. They do oh. mocap. They have people, like, go in the suits and, like, do the thing. He looked like someone who was doing the mocap animation for setting a screen, but wasn't, like, the artificial intelligence part of his computer player wasn't picking up where the defense was, the spot where he was supposed to set the screen on it, and that whole thing. That's what it looked like, and that's what it has looked like for him. It was it was number one on Shackton. That was from the Utah game. It's a different game. He was doing it again, yeah. It's... And that's been a thing for a while now where it's like it's just such a minor thing to complain about that it sounds like you're being a brat and you're being biased when you said it that I've never really brought it up. I don't know. But um, well, I, I hope he figures it out and I hope more so that he develops defensively because I think that if it's yeah. going to happen for him, he's going to be a really good defensive player. And then the offense is just going to be what it is, what it is, which is hopefully he's using his dribble. If he is, he can still be a great individual scorer in this league. If he's not using his dribble, then he he won't really have much of a chance. And the thing about using his dribbles, it's become extremely predictable now with how low he brings the ball down. So people are stripping him all the time. The Suns schemed around that. They knew exactly what the tells were because they had him around and know the weaknesses within his game. But with that being said, that is the path to him uh, becoming better. Chris is here. Um, at and, and DA, and the thing is, like, he's been fine. He hasn't been bad Yeah, Portland. He's just been fine. Yeah. And it's like, he's just not a max center. He's not a top 10 or 15 center. He's fine. And when he's His activities in a better there, situation, yeah. when he, he's, he's in a better situation and he's maximized as much as he possibly can by his teammates and their level of play to help him, just in the way we were talking about how Nurkic is better with Booker, Aiden's going to be better with even Scoot, who's yeah. a rookie figuring his own things out. Yeah. So you can't really judge him right now at all, but I'm just saying that I think he's going to be fine and, and average for a center until things get better in Portland, and then we'll see from there. But in terms of him making the steps on his own, I think we're past that at this point. Yeah. 
Uh, Chris in Golden State's been going fine so far. The biggest problem for them is Clay can't really move, uh, and then they've gotten bad Wiggins for the most part to start the year. I watched their game against Houston the other night, and Clay actually had a pretty good game. It was his first 20-plus point game of the year. We're talking about Clay wow. Thompson, who yeah. is going to be in the Hall of Fame and is a really, really good scorer. Like he, again, the Grace Allen, Eric Gordon thing, shooter, shooter, shooter. Clay can score. Yes, he's never been much of a creator off the dribble. But with that being said, he can still score. And he was being guarded by Jabari Smith Jr., and every time he dribbled, Jabari either ripped him or blocked his shot pretty much, or Clay passed out. And he hit open. He hit open threes. He got open in the ways that he does. Uh, and then it was a good Wiggins game. The game before against OKC, he was good in that game as well. Kuminga is their third leading scorer right now, and Kuminga hasn't necessarily taken huge steps forward. And then Chris is someone who's just trying to get comfortable in what his role is, which is going to be I probably score in the single digits more often than not, but I'm going to give you. 6 to 12 assists a game in these types of minutes with one turnover and I'm going to be in the right spot everywhere. He's shooting incredibly well on catch and shoot threes right now. His pull-up numbers are atrocious. That This is like last year, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I watched it back and like especially with this kind of sample size, he's taking like four, he's taking four or five heaves. There's been four or five or end of shot clock he's trying to create a shot. Um, but he it is at that point where He's always been someone where his shot was unguardable for being six feet tall, which never made sense, but it was because of the way he tilted and the way that he shot over people, like with the arc of his shot. And it's at the point now where we're starting to see those funky jumpers we talked about two years ago where we were like, was there like a major shoulder injury here? And he had to change the the form on his shot. He's still having those where like he changes like the form of his shot a little bit and you can just notice it. Because he needs to get more arc on his shot or he needs to get it around the defender. There's still a couple too many of those because the amount of separation he's getting at this age just isn't what it's he like used to be. It's like the archers when they just bend. Yeah, yeah it's weird. It's, it's kind of weird. But he's he's been fine, and I think more so he is the ultimate guy out of everyone we've talked about so far on the Suns, DA, where once everything gets going around him and hopefully for their sake... Wiggins gets back to the all-star starter. That was like a weird thing where like he just got in, but he was an all-star like he was that. Good, all-star yeah. caliber player. If he gets back there and they get Draymond back and he looks more or less like Draymond, like he didn't last postseason and like Clay didn't last postseason. <laughs> that's why I'm really worried about the Warriors and their status as a contender. But guess what? Steph is still arguably the best player in the world right now. He's in that five, six player discussion. So I think that uh, Chris has been fine so far. And what I wrote about on the side and ended with, I wrote about him and DeAndre together, so naturally people are going to make it, make their assumptions and see, read it and be like, oh, he's higher on Chris. And it's like, well, Chris has a much, much lesser role. Like, his role is way smaller. He He's the backup point guard. He plays 30 minutes a game, but he's not one of the... He's probably, what, the third most important player on that team? Fourth, maybe? And DeAndre has to be the guy on, on Portland yeah. now. His role has only increased... Um, so those two kind of flipped in their responsibilities. So naturally, especially for how experienced Chris is and how he's always made it work everywhere, he's going to look like he's been better. Defensively, guess what? Yeah. The minutes with him and Steph, they've been good so far defensively. Um, I don't know what's happening there. Is that small? Uh, is that sample like with shooting? Is Aren't they not shooting? I didn't really dive too much deeper into it, but watching the Rockets game, they made it work. Steph's guarding guards. There were your patented Jalen Green is trying to get by him Ugh. just immediately jets by him and yeah. chris doesn't stand a chance there were a couple of don't those. post up chris though but i still do believe what i wrote which is that he still has it because there were nights where he was just pissed and he's like i'm just going to be all defense nine time chris paul guy tonight for the most part 
but his legs it's just how much can he use them but anthony slater wrote a good thing on the athletic which is something you don't think about until i didn't think about until you see it on the court where you're like oh yeah steph looks pretty good right now in the fourth quarter like his legs look great and then you think like oh yeah because chris is bringing the ball up a lot yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is just like they're surviving on defense, and I know he has started some games and all that. Um, where, like, yeah, you you have to rely on him, and most of the time he's probably not getting the toughest matchup. But there's enough evidence where it's like, oh yeah, like people are afraid to dribble around that man. One, it doesn't matter if his legs can't move at all. He has really good hands. Um, and two, like he can hold up just physically against bigger dudes, um, for being whatever height he is officially. So that, that's my biggest thing is like, they're getting away with it. I don't even know if getting away is the right word because I think he's a legit, still a pretty decent defender where you can't just outright exploit him. Um, and that was my biggest thing. Like, if you're going to play those guys a lot of minutes together, then he has to do that. He's holding that up and still being just – I would go – I should go look at, like, his assist rate because he's not playing very many minutes, but he's still at, what, seven, eight assists, I think. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's insane that he's finding ways to still be really impactful. And, again, if he gets his legs under him a little bit, I would expect the jump shooting numbers to come around. And once other guys actually start hitting shots, then he's going to have more spot-up opportunities if he's doing that well just as a spot shooter. So we'll see. Can I rant about the in-season tournament before we go? Yeah. Okay, the Suns are 2-1. and one. They have a point differential of plus 13. The tiebreaker for the wild card spot is most likely going to be point differential. Right now, they are competing with probably the Denver Nuggets, who are plus nine. They've got one game left. The Rockets, who are minus three. They have two games left. The Kings, who are 2-0, plus 16. Timberwolves, 2-0, plus 10. Warriors, 1-1, minus one. This is likely going to come down to a few 3-1 teams for that one sole wild card spot. It's going to come down to point differential. You know what would be handy, Kevin? What? Is knowing how many points you have to get in order to get there. You know which team is not going to get the honor of doing that? The Suns. The Suns, because they finish before everyone. Yeah. You know why you want to be European soccer so bad, brother? They do all of the games at the same time. So yeah. no one can know. So there's no I didn't think of advantage or disadvantage. So you sit here and you make your little West Group A's, West Group B's, and you want to be the Champions League so bad. Mm. Brother... You got to sacrifice your schedule a bit. I'm sorry. You guys do it on game 82 now. Why can't you do it on this Friday or on this Tuesday? So to be clear, again, with what I'm saying, I mentioned all of those teams that the Suns are competing with. They play in Memphis against the Grizzlies at 5 Eastern on Friday. The Nuggets don't tip that night until 8 Eastern. So the game's going to end, and them and Houston are both going to know more so Denver. It's like, okay, if Denver's up 10 and they need to catch the Suns by 26 points, then they have the advantage of knowing whether they uh, should go for it or not. And then the other teams don't even finish playing until Tuesday. So Houston plays on Tuesday. Minnesota plays on Tuesday. Golden State and Sacramento both play on Tuesday. So all of these teams get an advantage. So, again, if you really want this to matter, if you really want it to be like European soccer, like Silver is so obsessed with, then do it right. You did it wrong. And now I, I sound like the bitter... Suns guy where it's like oh the Suns are getting screwed I'm not doing that I'm just saying your tournament is inept my guy yeah it's inept inept oof that was a good rant um that's something that we didn't think about because I think we were all like okay how does this work group play how do you get into the bracket 
okay, point differential matters. It takes two games to even care about point differential. Like, we didn't even really look at it <laughs> until the Blazers game when they were at a net zero. So they win by 13. They're plus 13 now. And suddenly it's like, oh, okay, now we have interest. But it's like, yeah, it's... I didn't make that clear enough. So for non-soccer the, fans... There are, there's like three full days between... Yeah. The, the sets of games we care about and it's just for weird. non-soccer fans all of the games take place at the same time yeah for those kinds of situations where goal differential could matter but it's more so what i'm thinking about is the last day of the regular season where there's teams in the premier league table which are going to finish equal on points and it does come down to goal differential so that way they can't know exactly which way uh, they need to go and such, and there isn't an advantage that other teams at least don't make it get. the same day. Like I understand there are TV windows, and if every game's playing at once, you're not maximizing it. I guess is why I'd assume, but it's happening in college. No, it's, no, it's just all about money. It's like you yeah. want me, you want me to care about this, like it's a real tournament, and that's the thing is like since we haven't talked about it on this podcast, there's an inherent tradition to winning trophies in European soccer that really matters. Like, mm-hmm. it really, really matters to some of these smaller clubs. Like, when I used to be a Newcastle United fan, like, they hadn't been to a final in, like, so many years, let alone won a trophy. So when they advanced to the quarterfinals of the FA Cup, we're like, oh, my God, is this the year they're going to do it? Meanwhile, they're going to finish 13th in the Premier League, do nothing and no one cares, but it's this <laughs> huge moment for them. Yeah, The NBA Cup is going to be something people get mocked for if they celebrate it. It's a yeah. joke. It's going to be a joke. It's Unfortunately, a joke. I wish it mattered, but it doesn't matter because there's no tradition. All of those trophies in England, in Spain, in France, Italy, everywhere, they have so much tradition behind them that they actually matter. Now, you could say that this is the NBA's attempt of building that tradition, but they're not aware of their audience. They might think they're aware of their audience, but they're not. They're just going to sit here and make fun of everyone. Like when whoever celebrates with the trophy, like Jimmy Butler or whoever, you know, <laughs> like they're going to get made fun of for looking at it or like taking it seriously or kissing it. Like, like they're going to be little bros cat kissing it like it's the Larry OB. Chill out, bro. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's what it's going to be. So. All of this was here to create a new tradition, be like European soccer, whatever. No, it was about money because the TV schedule I'm talking about right now, that's what matters to them the most, which is the money of that scheduling and the $4.6 million they would lose if they did all these games at the same time or whatever. You know what I mean? It is funny because like, I understood like last night against the Blazers, we knew, okay, and, and Friday will happen again. Suns fans will be like, we want them to blow them out. And you'll say, how much do you want them to blow them out by? I don't know, a lot. And the Suns will be like, should we pull our starters yet? Because we still would like to blow them out by more. But do we know if we need to? And then Frank Vogel will do an in-between where he pulls Katie and Book and then keep like some of the other starters in to like maybe score. And then we're all unsure. And then we'll wait three days to find out whether it matters. And then when they didn't score that last basket, it might really matter. And then we'll be like, well... He pulled Katie and Book in the Portland game. They could have gotten free points. Yeah, they what fly. I'm trying to say is like, yeah, it's just like very ambiguous what we're trying to do, which is every single basketball game. Like, we should beat the other team. Yes. Do you want to beat them by a lot? Sure. So it's their third game in four days, and they fly across the country either later tonight on Wednesday or on Thanksgiving. They fly across the country to play Memphis. Then it's in New York against the Knicks on Sunday, the Raptors in Toronto on Wednesday, and then they're back home and they play a back-to-back against Denver and Memphis. So third game in four days, like it's not ideal. 
But like you're saying, situationally, you would like to be aware of it. Vogel saying it every time they go to the locker room. He's talking about in-season tournament, this and that. So the, I think they care a little bit, and I think they want to yeah. go for it if they can. But it's like they don't even know how they can potentially go for it because, like, okay, I guess we have to get it as high as possible. But, like, am I supposed to play these guys 42 minutes now yeah. when we're winning by 26, but we should try and win the, by 47? Like, I don't know. Legit, the biggest prize in all this is, and I think Dame was the one, if I'm not mistaken. He's like, oh, yeah, the, like the guys who are on, like, two-way deals, minimum contracts, like, Which they, the majority of the Suns roster. Yeah, so actually they have a lot to play for. Uh, is it like half a mil or something? Yeah, per this, player? Is, this is life-changing it's, money. For it's guys a lot like of money. For Saban Lee, uh, Azubuki, like, yeah. it matters to them for sure. So that stuff is going to be like the biggest prize, which like the effort's going to be there. We're not questioning that, but just the format just is like, I don't know. There's a giant, the NBA page is nice. It's a giant standings page that makes sense. That's that's the nicest part of it so far for me. I enjoyed reading it easily. I got to go be on the radio. Bye. Oh, okay. Uh, rivalry weekend in football. Speaking of trophies where things happen and Whatever, maybe man. other teams winning or losing matter. Play important games against each other and then I'll care more. I'm sorry. I'm that guy. I'm that cranky old guy. We have bigger rivalries with like Duke, UCLA, and basketball. Like, come on. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying the Pac-12 saying title games on the... Pac-12 title games. On. I wasn't invested in football. I'm sorry. I can admit it too. I'm, I'll be a bandwagoner. I'll be like, yeah, let's go. Once we make the Rose Bowl or whatever it is, I don't see. I don't know. I don't he know. doesn't know anything. Uh, I, I gotta I've, go on. The okay, radio. I'm bye. sorry. Bye, 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 bye. See ya.